0: So the film tells um, really an episodic story of a unique slice of American history. and Really that begins in the 1960s. Um, There were kind of a tornado, really. There was a tornado of three things that came together uh, that formed a period of unrest um, in our country. First was the Civil Rights Movement led by... Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. That was going on alongside this movement, uh, this uprising really of a group of young people who were referred to as the hippies who kind of rejected the norms right, of their their parents. And alongside of that, there was actually um, a global pandemic. So let's take a real unique slice even of that. Let's go to 1968. In 1968, that was the year that uh, Dr. King was killed. Uh, Robert Kennedy uh, was killed as well in the middle of the Vietnam protests and the hippies and all that was going on there and a million people died in this global pandemic and they had this kind of tornado of uh, everything all of a sudden was unsettled and churches were divided uh, over it. spiritual communities uh, were really separated. Uh, Pastors didn't know what to do and some people were even thinking like is this the end right of Christianity in the West? And it was in the middle of that, that what no one really expected uh, was called the Jesus People Movement. Um, The film tells the story of a pastor on the West Coast whose name was Chuck Smith. He was the pastor of Calvary Bible Church. I'll show you his uh, picture. He's played by Kelsey Grammer um, in the film. And you saw the question that he asked. He actually asked his daughter. He's like, I'd like to meet a hippie. Can you introduce me to one of the, I've got some questions. And so his daughter introduced him to a man named Lonnie Frisbee. I'll show you his picture uh, as well. He's played by Jonathan Rumi in the film from The Chosen series, if you've, watched, uh, if you've watched those movies. And so Chuck Smith and Lonnie Frisbee really start a Bible study over on uh, the West Coast, reaching out to hippie surfers. And the square uh, that started off the trailer was a young man uh, who was 17 years old at the time. His name was Greg Laurie who was converted in the middle um, of, that, of that movement. And you saw it just briefly in the trailer, but just so you know that uh, it was not a write into the script. It was actually a historical reality. This movement that began, that all of a sudden within a year, was a 1,000 hippies coming to this Bible study, young people being converted. Um, just so you know how significant that was over the next... Uh, three to four years, the summer of 1971, you can look and see who graced the cover, uh, right, of Time Magazine. That wasn't just for movie and effects. like that is the legitimate cover of Time. History says that 20 to 30 million people have come to faith in Christ through this Jesus people movement, this Jesus revolution uh, that started back then. And I would venture to guess it was this way in the 930 service and it's gonna be this way in this service that there are people who are in the room uh, today who came to know Christ in the late 60s and 70s in middle school, high school or college that probably were a result. Just raise your hand as a result, right, of this movement, some connectivity. Yeah, we got folks there and there. Yep, it's a reality. It has had incredible impact on modern uh, american culture and you know you may be here and you may be saying you know what dean like i hear it and it's a historical piece um but i'm i'm a skeptic like i'm skeptical of of the whole thing regarding christianity and and that's okay uh, but if that's you i would say that you at least have to offer some sort of intelligent explanation for how Christianity went from a handful, 120 men and women who were persecuted in the first century AD to becoming a 2,000-year global movement, really the likes of which, in terms of a global scale, the world has ever seen that is sustained until today. Like you have to offer some sort right, of explanation of how that occurred. Christianity would say that there's a very good explanation uh, for that, and at least part of it, a slice of that, is that God used a converted religious terrorist named Paul to go city to city to city in the ancient world, the Pax Romana, when Rome ruled the world, and he shares this, uh, this subversive gospel message. We're going to look at, like I said, a slice of that today in Acts chapter uh, 17. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, turn over there and we will start looking at what happened when Paul lands in Athens. Verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city uh, was full of idol. So like I said Paul's moving in the Roman uh, controlled world. The the Caesars at various times who ruled the Roman uh, world, they would um, force the people of the empire to say the words Kaiser Curios. Kaiser Caesar Curios Lord. You know that word if you know 80s music, you remember the song um, from the band Mr. Mister, the song Kyrie, right? Curier layin' down the road uh, that I must travel. Lord have mercy. Down the road that I must travel. And the idea there um, was that um, Caesar wanted everyone to declare them as coming from, as coming from um, the gods. So, uh, for example, I'll give you a quote from Caesar Augustus um, where uh, where he said this, salvation is to be found in none other save Augustus, and there is no other name given to men whereby they can be saved. It's interesting, though, that Paul goes city to city, and he doesn't say Kaiser Curios, but he encourages people to say Iesu, Jesus, Iesu Curios, that not Caesar is Lord, but that Jesus is Lord. And Acts chapter 4, verse 12, says there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby not we can be saved, but whereby we must be saved other than um, the name of Jesus. So Paul lands in Acts 17, 16, the verse we read, Paul lands in Athens. And when he lands there, the thing that he notices is that the city's full of idols. Athens, the former capital of Greece, which was the major uh, world power until Rome conquers them. So in Athens, all of a sudden, you have this accumulation of both Greek mythology and Roman mythology that meet um, in that city, and so here 's part of the core of paul 's message uh, when he got to Athens, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, "Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription: "To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as an unknown, this." I proclaim to you. So Paul goes right to the heart of Athens, to the Areopagus on Mars Hill. I'll show you a picture uh, of that. And from there, you could, see, um, you could see the marketplace of idol worship. And what Paul says uh, to this group of leaders uh, in Athens who love to debate, who uh, love to talk through things, Paul says, listen, I see that you're very religious. It is obvious by the amount of idols that I've already seen in the city, by the amount of idols that you're producing, you're obviously a very, a very, very religious uh, people. But I saw one altar when I was walking through the city and it said to the unknown God. Paul said, that's the God that I wanna to talk to you about. That's the God. And I would just say in relation to our culture, and this is, this should hit us right where we live, right? We are part of a very religious culture. People are religious about so many things. A lot of people are religious about church. But we're religious about a lot of other things. We're religious about our finances. We're religious about our health and our bodies. We're religious about our families and, and our kids and their extracurricular activities. We're very religious about, about those things. We're religious about a lot of things. But Paul says, just because you're religious about God does not mean that you are relationally connected to God. Those two things, men of Athens, those two things, people of Delaware County, those are very, very different things. Things. And so Paul begins, right, to reason with them. He jump back up to verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also uh, conversed with him. So Paul, initially, he, he reaches out to the Hebrews. That was his background. That's typically where it starts. But what you read in the text is that there are these two other groups of people there in Athens that kind of ruled the philosophy of the day with which he also talked. They were the Epicureans and, and the Stoics. These two groups of people, they really, they didn't like each other. Uh, may, maybe you could say there was hatred between these two groups. And the only thing that they really agreed about Was that death was the end. Was that there was no life beyond the grave. That's what they, that was really their only point um, of agreement. I'll give you just a little more background on those, on those two. The Epicureans, um, they were founded, their, their philosophy was founded by a guy named, you could probably guess it right, Epicurus. I'll show you a picture of a bust of Epicurus. And Epicurus's idea was listen, since there's no life after death, enjoy the ride. Man, you only get so many trips right around around the sun. So, man, enjoy life, write your own script, paint your own canvas. Don't let anybody tell you anybody tell you what to do. And the flip side of that coin, right? We're the Stoics. It's a word we still use. We we use that it's part of our frame of reference. It was kind of fueled by the writings of a guy named Marcus Uh, Aurelius. And really the idea of the Stoics was, listen, you should should, uh, sublimate your emotions to your will. In other words, do the right thing. Be good. Follow follow the traditions um, of your elders that have been passed down from century to century, a sense of morality and a sense of, of doing the right thing. So you've got over on one side, you've got the Epicureans, right? Who are like, listen, you're not gonna be here for a long time, so enjoy a good time, right, while you're at it. Over here, you've got the Stoics who are like, no, 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 do good for goodness sake. So you've got the Epicureans would represent maybe the far left, right, and then you've got the Stoics who would maybe represent more of the far right. And I wanna be clear, there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. And there's nothing wrong with doing good and trying to achieve nobility as long as those aren't the two things that you, that you live for, right? And so when Paul begins to share with them the good news of this gospel message, he's kind of met with two um, overarching responses. And they are these. First, widespread acceptance in Athens but secondly, severe skepticism, severe skepticism. Let's let's start with um, with skepticism, verse 18, 18, the next verse. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign uh, divinities because he was preaching uh, Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul goes to the heart of the Greco-Roman world in terms of deities. And what does he do? What does he teach? Jesus died on the cross, buried in the grave, resurrected on the third day. And that verse says, that the, who is this babbler? They looked at Paul. They listened to him. <laughs> Come on, man. You're telling me that Jesus was resurrected? There's no life after death? Ha. <laughs> Ha! <laughs> severe skepticism. Do you feel that in our culture today? If you mention Jesus, I mean, it's one thing to talk about God. It's one thing to say, you know, thoughts and prayers. Like it's, one, but when you mention Jesus, died on the cross, buried in the grave, resurrected on the third day. Skepticism, severe severe skepticism. And, and Paul was met with that kind uh, of, of reality. As a matter of fact, there's a great example of how this works um, in the book of Acts, which is, you know, like I said, the history of the early church, 10 chapters forward, whenever Paul is on trial. Paul's on trial. He has to come in front of two of the most powerful leaders, um, certainly in his part of the world, uh, it was the Roman governor of Palestine and the Hebrew king of Palestine, both appointed, right, by the, by the Romans. The Ro- Rome had their th- uh, thumb on both of these leaders. One of them, um, who was the Roman governor, was Festus. Uh, think uh, he was Pilate, right? When in Jesus' day it was Pilate, now it's, it's Festus. The other one, uh, the Hebrew king, was Agrippa. So in Jesus' day, think Herod. So this would have been been like Jesus standing in front right of Herod and Pilate. So Paul is on trial in front of uh, Festus and Agrippa. Paul talks to them about the resurrection. Festus says, Paul, much learning has made you mad. It's made you crazy. Paul, in other words, this resurrection, you're insane. And here's Paul's response to that. In Acts chapter uh, 26 and verse 25. But Paul said, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I am speaking out with truthful and rational words. Now, I just want to pause right there because I want you to feel the weight of this next moment. Paul is going to fix his eyes on Agrippa. And if you could imagine Paul, the most, um, the most influential human evangelist, the most spirit filled, speak straight from the uh, authority of a heaven through a man person that I think this world's probably ever seen, certainly that we have recorded. If you could imagine what it would be like for Paul to lock eyes with you, Paul does that and he looks at Agrippa. <laughs> And, um, and here's what he says. For the king knows about these matters. And I also speak to him with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. For this has not been done in a, in a corner. And here's what he says. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you are going to persuade me to make a Christian. Um, of myself if you can imagine just the weight the magnitude of that moment everyone in the room everyone watching you're insane I am not insane most excellent Festus and I'll tell you why I'm not he looks at Agrippa he said Agrippa knows it's true now listen you may be here today you may be you may be a skeptic of the resurrection which is fine but what you cannot say is that you are skeptical because we are smarter people than the people who lived back in this day. What you can't say is that, well, we know things today and we're kind of smarter. No, 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 no. If you're gonna disprove the resurrection, it would have been much easier to disprove the resurrection within a decade of when it happened. That would have been much easier. People were still alive. People could have, you could have spoken to witnesses. Like there, there are so many reasons that they could be more skeptical then than we, would be skeptical today. So what Paul is essentially doing is he's looking at Agrippa and he says, hey, Agrippa, you know it's true. Because if it's not true, if you know this isn't true, Agrippa, well then what that means is, Jesus is in a grave somewhere. If he died, there's a grave. If there's a grave, there's a body. So all you have to do, Agrippa, is go get the body of Jesus and produce a body. That's all you have to do. That'll end the whole controversy. But essentially, Paul was saying, but Agrippa, you know it, and I know it, that you cannot produce the body of Jesus because the body of Jesus is not in a grave, that he was miraculously resurrected. And he says to him, he says, Agrippa, you believe the prophets, right? I know you believe the prophets. And Agrippa, in what I think is an amazing Admission says, Paul, I'm this close to becoming a Christian. Paul, you almost persuade me to make a Christian of myself. In other words, what Paul says to Agrippa is, Agrippa, you've got all the knowledge. You've got everything at your finger. You you know everything you need to know. And I've walked you all the way up to the line of faith. All you've gotta do is step across. And Agrippa says, Paul, I'm I'm this close. So what's the obvious question? Why won't he do it? Why won't he take that step? Because if you believe the resurrection is true, you cannot have authority over your own life. If you believe the resurrection is true, you cannot maintain control of your life. You have to bring your life under the authority, under the power of the one who was resurrected, who died on a cross, was buried in a grave, was resurrected for your sake to help you know and have the confidence that you too can beat death. It requires that kind of movement. And when you watch, this, when you watch the Jesus Revolution film, what you realize is this is really the core of what Chuck Smith and Lonnie Frisbee were sharing with all these hippie surfers um, on the beach. This is what converted um, Greg Laurie, who's had such an incredible impact uh, from a spiritual perspective on our country uh, over the last uh, 30, 40 years. This reality that if you believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, that changes, that changes everything. So why is that such... um, Why is that such a big deal to us? Or why is it such a big deal to me? Why am I even talking about this today? Because here's what I believe. I believe there's a whole lot of people in this room today that are right on that line. And you know everything you need to know. You've gotten all the information you need. And you are there this close but the reason you won't take that step is because ultimately you are not willing to give up authority and control of your life so what you see what happens in Athens to Paul the end of, at the end of the narrative, this historical narrative, is that essentially you can slice it up into three responses. There are three different responses that come to Paul from this religious group of people in Athens. And um, let's look at, let's look at the three of them. Here's what Paul says, or, or Acts chapter 17, verse 32 says, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion uh, with them. But some joined him and became, uh, and became believers. Three different responses uh, that you see there. First, you can laugh. Some of them laughed with contempt. Some of them rolled their eyes at Paul and his ideas about the resurrection. But can I tell you that's not helpful when it comes to you personally and your thoughts about death, it's not helpful. Um, Albert Camus was a a writer, uh, thinker, philosopher when it came uh, to Christianity. And he talked about he said, let's say you're kidnapped. And um, in being kidnapped, your kidnapper says, whatever your favorite thing is, I'll provide it to you, but I'm gonna murder you in an hour. He says, "What's your favorite?" Camus says, "What's your favorite thing? Watching football, reading a book, um, listening to music." So let's say that's you. Let's say you're in that in that situation, in that scenario, and so um, your kidnapper says, "Here's a copy of the 2015 national championship game between Ohio State and Oregon," or somebody uh, hand they hand you a copy of the Notebook, right, for you to for you to read, or they say, "Hey, here's your your favorite Spotify playlist." For you to listen to. Are you going to enjoy any of those things? No. Because you know, you understand that you only have an hour to live. And so what happens is that death turns all of our mountaintops, right, into into valleys. That's why the reality of this whole Jesus people movement, I think, is such an incredible deal to us. It's so important in the life. I think we as Christians, we as believers, we look at this and we say, Lord, do it again. Like among our generation, raise up another group of young people who have faith in Jesus, died on a cross, buried in a grave, resurrected on the third day. Because you can do in our culture what you did in that previous culture. There's a uh, social scientist, maybe the leading social scientist um, today in spirituality in our country is a guy named ryan burge he teaches at eastern illinois university he wrote for the christian post uh last year in uh, april i think it's the april um, um uh, uh, the april edition in uh, 2023 and what he says there he did a a, a pretty extensive uh, research project and here's what he said that generation z upper high school college students that Generation Z is much more likely than their uh, millennial Generation X parents not only to attend worship services, but to, to, to sink their heart into spiritual realities. And what's amazing to me about that, when you think about it, what's amazing to me is that what we just came through, right, 2020, you think about it, we had our own little tornado, right? We had a global pandemic. We had social unrest. We had a, a terrible election right on the horizon that was very divisive. Churches were divided. Churches actually shut down. Pastors, people like me, like we didn't know what to do. We never faced anything like this. And we thought, man, is this the end? Like is this it? Are people ever gonna, are people ever going to come back to church? And what we are seeing today, Ryan Burge is saying it, what I feel like we are saying, I'm talking to friends of mine who are pastors and Christian leaders, is that there is a hunger among younger people right now for spiritual realities and answers. And the more the elite intelligent people in our country are like babbler, right? The more they roll their eyes, the more they, the more it seems like younger people are leaning in and saying this. And we say, come on, Lord Jesus, right? Bring more of that and more of that movement to become reality. But the Stoics, no, 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 no. That's what we're going to do. Just good, for goodness sake, I'm gonna be, be a good person, Dean, and here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna accumulate a lot of stuff and I'm gonna leave it behind to people. And listen, there's nothing wrong with uh, targeted generosity. I think it's a wonderful thing. And I'll say this, that's not noble. Everybody does that. Everybody leaves it all behind. Well, Dean, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go out and I'm I'm gonna, man, I'm gonna enjoy, I'm gonna enjoy life, because this is all there is. And maybe that's a helpful point of view when you're 20. But can I tell you, when you get to be 60, 70, 80, there is this uncomfortable insecurity with old Epicurus' view. As a matter of fact, before Epicurus died, shortly before he died, I want to give you a quote um, from him. Here's what he said. My biggest fear is not that death is the end, but that death perhaps is not the end. That your primary insecurity is not that all of your life you've enjoyed it, which again is fine, and and you you know you, you've taken that point of view, but the closer you get to it, there's this plaguing insecurity that what if I'm not right? Am I am I prepared? So that's one that's one response. You can you can laugh, but the second one is, um, some of those who heard said we will learn more later right so it's not laugh it's learn and maybe you're here today and that's your position you say you know what i'm here i'm learning which is great it's fantastic and i would encourage you to continue to learn there's just one dangerous word in that and it's the word later because a lot of times people say they're learning but really what they're doing is they're delaying those things are different I've got a good friend who, um, in his mid-twenties, working a job, enjoying life, but there was this annoying elderly lady that he worked with who kept inviting him to come to church and kept inviting him and kept inviting him, and finally, just to get her off of his back, he said he would go. So he shows up to this meeting one night, and the speaker that night clearly explained the gospel in a way for him, in his mid-twenties, that he clearly understood the meaning of the gospel and the necessity of him to receive it. And he said, he sat there in his seat that night listening to uh, this, this preacher um, speak, and he said, you know what? I understand it. I believe it, but I don't want to respond to it because if I respond to it, then I've got to change And I'm really enjoying I'm having a good time in my 20s right now. Like, so here's what, I'll do it later. And he said, as soon as he completed that thought, the speaker from the stage, still talking to the audience said, you know what, there are some of you who are here today and right now you're thinking, I'd like to do that. I believe that's true. But if I do that, I've got to change. And so what you're thinking is, you'll just wait till later in life and you'll become a Christian later in life. And the guys sitting there thinking, how does he know? Like what I just thought? Like I just he's reading my mind. And then he said the speaker looked out at the crowd and he said I have one thing to say to you. What? A coward. By the way, that's where I did the karate kick in the first service. <laughs> I'm not going to do that again. He said, listen, what a coward. You're telling me that you believe Jesus died publicly on a cross, a torturous death for you, went into the grave, was miraculously raised on the third day, and you're going to try to figure out a way to delay responding to the love of God so that you can have a few more good times in your 20s? What a coward. And he said that night, man, bam, it hit me. And that was his night, right? He knew everything he needed to know. He got right up to the line of faith. He, and that night he said, man, that's me. And he crossed the line of faith. Which leads me to the last of the three responses, right? You can, you can laugh, you can learn. And the third one is, you can leap. You can respond to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with repentance And faith. And you can join him. You can receive him because you know everything you need to know. And again, I would just say some of you in the room today, you've been around long enough, you know enough, and you are right on the line. Whatever you do, do not leave here today with a King Agrippa attitude. Do not leave here today and say, you know what? I'm almost there. What more do you need other than Jesus crucified, buried, and risen for your sake? That close is not close enough. So right now, today, right here, this moment, I want to encourage you to cross the line of faith. I'll help you do it. We're going to pray in just a second. You can pray with me today to take that step as God's Spirit has spoken and impressed upon you. You say, what, today is my day to become a follower of His. Let's pray together. Uh, God, I do pray for anybody who's here this morning that God, maybe you've been speaking to them over some time. Maybe God, it started years and years and years ago in their family as they began attending uh, a church or a Bible study. Or maybe God, it's somebody who's brand new this morning and this is the first time maybe they've ever heard this good news that they could be forgiven, um, God, of their sins and that they could be drawn into your family and become uh, your child. Whichever way, God, and anything in between, would you give people courage? Um, God, would your spirit draw them this morning to take a step of following, receiving the good news of who you are and what you have done for us? As we just continue to pray um, right now, if that's you, you wanna take that step this morning, I'm gonna pray right now and you can pray with me. You don't have to pray it just like I pray it or say it exactly like I say it. Just pray something like this. Dear Jesus, thank you for leaving heaven, coming to earth. Thank you for dying for my sins. And Jesus, today I'm saying that I not only believe it, but that I'm here to receive it. That your authority, Lord, I welcome that into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. Give me that new heart that you promise in Scripture. Jesus, I want you to be the leader of my life. I will be the follower. Thank you for this great salvation gift. And Again, I'm just going to ask that you keep your heads bowed, eyes closed, the real personal time between people and God. But the Scriptures are clear that when you take this step that you don't do it Um, alone in isolation, but that you let others know. So I'm going to ask that you allow me to be the first person that you tell you've taken this step this morning, just by raising your hand right now. Would you do it? I'm not going to ask you to speak. I'm not going to call you out. Thanks. Great. Yeah. Put them up. Take them right back down. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Up there in the risers. Thank you. Great. Today is my day. Cross that line. And God, I pray for those of us who are in the room today. Lord, there's there's something inside of us that that looks for, that longs for this kind of a movement of people, of your spirit. Um, God, not because uh, we're um, uh, progressives or conservatives, um, not because we have an agenda, but God, because we want to see your kingdom come, your will be done. And so God, we pray for that today. And so for those of us who are believers, God, we're not gonna wait for the group, but we're gonna make our lives individually available. God, as much as the group thing is awesome, it starts with us personally. And so once again, God, we come to this moment to worship you, to say that we make ourselves available. Chad sang it early. What are we waiting for? God, we're not waiting for anything. We open our hands, our hearts, offer ourselves to you. Please use us. In your name we pray. Amen.